When you give corrective feedback, a lot of my supervisors were so hesitant to give negative or corrective feedback because they thought, oh, that's going to make them want to quit or whatever. But I think if, especially if you're, if you give it in the right way, um, you actually can end up boosting confidence because you're showing your team member you're invested in them. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I am doing really well. How are you? <laughs> well, you know that I am fantastic. Excellent. So excited to be here again with you. Um, quick question. Okay. If you and your family were to live in another country for say six years while pursuing you know, careers, what country would that be? What an interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there, there's a whole big world out there. You know, I, I gotta say, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I love living in the US. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's, you know, hopefully somewhere with a, a temperate climate and maybe some uh, uh, a good culture and some great food and, you know, lots of great things to do, uh, you know, with the family. Uh, I don't know. Italy comes to mind. I think okay. that was, I know, and that was just the last, uh, the, the last international trip I did prior to COVID. And I remember thinking, yeah, it's pretty cool here. So okay. Maybe, maybe I'm going to go with that. Uh, what about you? If you and, and Linda and Otis were to, to pick up for, uh, for six years, where would you go? <laughs> um, my first thought, although I've never been there before, would be somewhere in like the Norway, Sweden area, just because I have some clients there. And it seems like a really great place um, to at least visit and find out what, it's, what it would be like. But it sounds like a great place to live as well. Um, so I might say that, although I've been to Italy, I really enjoyed that. Uh, we have a guest today that is is um, living in Vietnam, and she says she absolutely loves it. So uh, maybe somewhere in Asia, but you know, it's really hard because I think for me it would have to there would have to be a reason to go there. I don't think I would just pick up and go to another country. So if there was a job opportunity or you know something that led the family there, I think then you know, I'd figure out the best place to be and, and make the best of it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that we have a guest today who she and her husband, Victor, and now their two children uh, are living in Vietnam. And Anna and Victor have been there for the last six years, have had both of their children there. And Anna's business is hospitality intelligence, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk a lot about hospitality. We're going to talk a lot about intelligence and how we put those together. Anna has a really great um, uh, history of experience with with um, the intelligence world that has helped her in, in her current 
current business. And that has helped her focus on the attention to detail and having a method. But now she trains people on how to, to provide safe procedures. And, you know, what's really fascinating is, you know, kind of taking what she's learned, certainly from her background and being, you know, a U.S. citizen, but now taking that and looking at how things happen in Vietnam, where, as she says, the amusement industry is kind of in its infancy. So there's a lot of room to grow, a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential. And it sounds like she's really having a great time working in that environment. What I think is really interesting is how she's able to balance cultural norms with many of the standards that she is familiar with and proficient with and is, and is able to train and being able to integrate that with the culture in Vietnam in a way that really accomplishes both goals, that gets all the, the standards, especially safety standards across, but also service and operational standards, combining it with the way that people interact with each other and the way that they respect each other uh, to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, you're not putting a square peg in a, in a round hole, right? It's not just taking one culture over here and just putting it over here, but really making sure that everything is seamless and perfectly infused. Infused, great word. Great Thank word. <laughs> um, one of the other things that Anna talks a lot about is confidence. And I think that has so many different um so many different things that we could talk about, so many layers of the onion that we could peel back. Um, she talks a lot about it with uh, communication and giving feedback and, and how that really impacts the operation. So I am confident that our listeners and our viewers will love this episode. Absolutely. And I'm going to go make some citrus infused water right now, <laughs> just so I could use that word one more time. But in the meantime, let's get to this amazing interview with Anna Danow. Anna Danow, thank you so much for joining us today on the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Matt? I'm great. Thank you so much. And uh, can't wait to uh, jump into this conversation. First of all, where are you calling in from? <laughs> I'm in, uh, I'm on lovely Phu Quoc Island in Vietnam. Um, it's a tiny little island on the, on the south end of the country. Excellent. Excellent. So you've been in the Asia, Asia region uh, for a little while. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do there? Yeah, sure. So yeah, we've, um, Victor, many of you probably know my husband, Victor. We've lived here for the past six years. Uh, normally we're based in Ho Chi Minh City, um, but um, COVID has wreaked a bit of havoc on the city. So we've escaped to the island, Phu Quoc Island. Um, yeah, the past six years has been a wild ride. We we originally moved here. Uh, Victor got a job with Teeny World, which is a small uh, attractions, uh, FEC attractions chain in Vietnam. Um, and I got the opportunity to start my own business. Um, first, starting with the very first real ice skating rink in Vietnam. Most Vietnamese people have never seen ice. <laughs> so it was, it was quite, a, quite a fun experience. Uh, and then we, yeah, we operated three more ice skating rinks, a few amusement parks, and um, now I, I have the opportunity to do a lot of training, mostly surrounding safety, guest service, um, and also doing some other support work. For example, we, uh, we got to support Quantum Creative Services. They, they did the nighttime show at Vin Wonders here in Fuquoc, and um, also helping HB Leisure. Many of you are familiar with HB, helping them get started in Vietnam. So, it's been kind of a little bit of everything. Um, the amusement park industry is in its infancy in Vietnam. And uh, so it's been, it's been just 
awesome. Like every day is different. Every day is something new. When you say that the industry is in its infancy in Vietnam, how does or what does that really mean in comparison to maybe other larger markets or what we see here in the in the U.S. or other regions in Asia or Europe um, that uh, that uh, Vietnam maybe is moving towards in the future, but like you said, currently in its infancy. Yeah, sure. So there are two major amusement park chains here, uh, Vin Group and Sun Group, um, and they they are what you would think of as a um, comparable amusement park to uh, the U.S. or Canada or Europe, um, you know, Vacoma Rides, you know, all, all of the, the name brand manufacturers. Um, but other than that, it's it's a lot of homemade theme parks, I call them. Uh, the rides are literally homemade. <laughs> and uh, um, and then um, there's a huge FEC community. A, a lot of Vietnamese people spend a lot of time in shopping malls uh, because it's out of the sun and the, the hot weather. So um, that's really popular, but Vietnamese people are certainly getting more interested in, in these thrill rides. Uh, but I will say most of my Vietnamese friends are terrified <laughs> of, of roller coasters. So um, it's still new in that way. Uh, but the, the middle class is growing here. People wanna spend money. I mean, COVID aside, COVID has changed things a little bit temporarily, but, um, you know, the, the typical Vietnamese family loves spending time together as a family. So amusement parks are perfect for that. Um, but yeah, ma majority of entertainment here right now is more, um, more like FECs. So, um, but amusement parks are growing and um, Sun Group and Vin Group are doing some incredible things uh, to get the, get the country going. So it's exciting, exciting times. Anna, can we go back to the ice skating rinks just for a second? Because you said a lot of folks over there in Vietnam hadn't seen ice, certainly on that scale. So what was it yeah. like culturally to kind of indoctrinate them or, or get them familiar with this whole concept of, I'm going to stand on ice for a while and, <laughs> and not fall down and freeze. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, actually, we had a few, uh, more than a few, buy tickets just so they could touch the ice. Um, it's very hot in Vietnam. So um, in the northern parts, they see snow occasionally, but most people in Saigon have never seen ice or snow in, in the elements. So that was really fun. We had a lot of injuries um, because, number one, people didn't know how to ice skate and they didn't know how to fall. So when you fall, I, you know, I was always taught as a kid, try to aim for your rear end. <laughs> and then as soon as you can stand up, because you could get seriously injured by someone skating by you. And, um, you know, so we, we really had to rethink how we did staffing. So we needed more people on the ice, teaching people how to ice skate um, and making sure they weren't slicing each other's fingers. But yeah, we had, we had a few, uh, <laughs> quite a few injuries that in the beginning. So we learned, we had to learn quickly on that, but it was a lot of fun, a lot of um, just, to see um, someone who's never experienced that before for the first time is, it's really amazing. It was, it was really a lot of fun. How much of that were you able to plan for versus maybe some unexpected either incidents or, or circumstances that would differ from say, like, you know, if you open an ice rink in Canada, 
probably many people are showing up and, and boom, like they're good to go and, and they're ready. And I would think that the, from an operating standpoint, even planning out an SOP or hiring, you know, staff and the way that staff are trained, uh, you know, would be vastly different. Uh, even, even areas where maybe people are not, not as experienced, but maybe do it more socially or go to an occasional skating birthday party or they played hockey or, or whatever it is compared to a demographic who, like you said, has never even seen ice on such a large scale. How much of that were you able to uh, really anticipate in advance prior to the openings? Probably, it's hard to answer that, but not yeah, We weren't able to anticipate a lot of it. I mean, even starting from, we, we did group interviews, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners do as well. Um, so we did group interviews, but even in that process, um, our, <laughs> our, uh, the applicants looked at us like we were crazy. Like, you want me to sit on a balloon? Like what? <laughs> and, and one step further, um, a lot of <laughs> Vietnamese people are quite petite. So they couldn't actually, uh, one, one popular group interview activity is, uh, you sit on a balloon and you make it pop and it's kind of an icebreaker, I guess. Um, but a lot of them couldn't actually break the balloon. <laughs> so that was, that was just from day one. But um, yeah, and then from tra to training the staff, because um, I mean, hospitality is really evolving in Vietnam, but um, typically it's, it's not normal to, to have this kind of bubbly personality that we kind of expect in a guest service experience. Um, when I told when I told the staff and training that you know you need to reach out to people walking by, we're in a shopping mall, so you need to reach out to them and say, "Hey, do you want to try an ice skating rink?" They were like, "No, no, no! Like I don't, we don't, we don't talk to guests like that. Like they they need to come to us. We shouldn't go to them." Um, so that was you know, the training was definitely a interesting thing, and then and then yeah, the guest um, experience. Uh, we, we just had to change things fly. We, we had a whole instructor program lined up, but we ended up scrapping that because we learned everyone needed an instructor. So we just, um, we, we got our staff trained up. None of our staff had ever ice skated before. Uh, so we had to teach them how to ice skate. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was a learning experience every day. Definitely taught me to be adaptable. Um, it was really my first time working as an operator too. So um, uh, other than, you know, witnessing Victor and, and his uh, career, but um, yeah, so it was, it was a learning experience every day. <laughs> so Anna, how much of the cultural norm, for lack of a better term, do you take into consideration when you're thinking about guest service? And you said people aren't necessarily comfortable being bubbly and, and going to approach yeah. people uh, versus what is their, you know, kind of their cultural comfort zone, if you will. So, you know, applying sort of what we might expect over here in the U.S. to another country. Yeah, that's that's a good point, because there there's two sides. You, you want to be respectful of the culture, um, but you also want to be safe uh, and uh, provide an, a unique guest experience. Um, so, um, for example, one, one of the cultural issues we had is, um, and this isn't just in Vietnam, uh, it's in a lot of countries, I think, where you're very respectful of your elders to the point that you would never tell an older guest no. Uh, so we had an issue on a train ride where um, uh, this 
older gentleman had a baby and he really wanted to take the baby on the train, but the safety requirements wouldn't allow. And our staff immediately came to get me because they didn't want to say no to him. Um, so yeah, so we, we really had to um, identify the safety issues and make that clear to our, to our team members that um, you know, safety comes before um, you know, keep making sure everyone feels uh, respected, <laughs> um, but, but also teaching them how to do that in a respectful way, how to remind safety rules in a respectful way. Um, yeah, and then uh, some things like um, confidence is really lacking. Um, but again, I wouldn't say that's unique to Vietnam. I think that's, that's also um, uh, an, an age thing. <laughs> so younger people learning to gain that confidence um, and, um, that to me, that's something that, um, we can kind of break out of the cultural norm a little bit to provide this unique guest experience. Um, you know, a few weeks into the ice rink opening, we were being recognized for being this, you know, exciting, uh, even though we were just an ice skating rink, uh, we also had, um, liquid nitrogen popcorn and ice cream, which was interesting too, but. Um, so I, I think having breaking out of the norm to that in that way was actually a good thing. Um, but, but also being respectful of, of things such as, um, you know, respecting your elders. So, yeah, it was, um, it, it's always a balance, but I think, uh, especially when you, and I know you guys are big fans of this, but making sure your team members, uh, have a say in how we, we do training and how we interact with guests. So making sure you're really listening to your front line of what makes sense and what doesn't. How much of your background are you able to bring to the table? Because you're you're from Tennessee, which looking at your website says the, the land of hospitality. And I won't argue that, although, you know, I'm, I'm in the Midwest. I'm experiencing that Midwest okay, hospitality. Okay. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of time in Orlando. There's, you know, there's that too. I, you know, is your goal to kind of bring some of that Southern hospitality culture to Vietnam, or are you looking at it purely from a fresh lens and saying, here's, you know, here's the, the cultural standards or the cultural, you know, significances that we're working with, and then blending it in with what you've already known, what you've, what you've grown up seeing and doing? Yeah, that's a good, I've, you know, I haven't thought that deeply about it, but I, um, Actually, I'm a I'm a closeted introvert. Uh, something you may not know about me. <laughs> so, um, but my mom is the complete opposite. She's a Southern woman, friends with everyone. She knows everyone, and uh, you know I've always respected her for that. Um, and part of it for me, I think, was that lack of confidence growing up. Um, and um, luckily, I I kind of fell into doing some theater in high school and university. Um, which really helped me build some confidence. I think because you're playing a different character, so you um, can kind of break out of your shell. Uh, and that to me is something I've always been passionate about is helping other people find that confidence. Um, and and it's, it's a cultural thing for sure. Um, you know, Vietnamese people, especially in a hospitality setting, are very shy and in a they're trying to be respectful, but um, but so helping them have that voice to to improve the guest experience. Um, so I've I've always been really passionate about that. 
um, not just in Vietnam, but in, in everything I do. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think the, the hospitality part of Tennessee is probably somewhere in me making sure I always want people around me to be having a good time. I don't really care if I'm having a good time. I want everyone to have time. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a good question. Yeah. Well, I would imagine that's part of where your the name of your company comes from, Hospitality Intelligence. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like putting those two things together, I think is really, really cool. And I love that name. Um, but can you go a little deeper in as far as where yeah, that sure. came from? Yeah. So, well, the first thing is, you know, I knew... Uh, I, I really liked attractions, um, but in Vietnam and in Asia, there's not a real word for amusement and attractions. The Vietnamese word is actually game. So, um, so game intelligence, I don't know, it doesn't work too well. Uh, so I wanted something that was, um, it, you know, encompassed attractions, but also other things because hospitality is actually seen as a very prestigious career path in Vietnam and, and other countries in Asia. Um, and I also think a lot of what we do, Josh and Matt included, like it, it um, transfers to all the businesses of hospitality. So I, I think that's, that's part of that. Um, intelligence, um, so my, before we moved to Vietnam, I actually worked uh, for the government, for the US government in intelligence. Um, and I learned, uh, I learned a lot from that about attention to detail, about um, having a method for things. Um, so I wanted I wanted to kind of marry those two parts of my life together. Um, yeah, I think uh, the intelligence part of me has helped. Uh, I, I participate in right operations audits. So um, just having that analytical background. Um, and also this, you know, I keep, talking about confidence, but um, I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm not confident and there's nothing I can do about it. But I really, I really believe that, you know, you can have a methodology to, to teach yourself anything, including confidence. So um, yeah, so hospitality intelligence was born, but mostly because I needed to operate an ice skating rink, so. <laughs> <laughs> When it comes to confidence, like you were just saying, uh, you know, what are what are some of those ways to be able for someone to teach themselves confidence, so that even if they are an introvert, to be able to be able to to confidently, and maybe even going back to the example that that you shared earlier, the gentleman who wanted to bring the the child or the the baby on the train, of being able to confidently communicate what the standard was, while also at the same time being very respectful that maybe he was you know older than the employee who's communicating that, uh, but doing that with with confidence and and service and respect. Yeah, well, I think uh, I mean I teach classes on this, so <laughs> this this could be another podcast episode, but. I think it boils down to, um, in our industry, it boils down to training. Um, and that means classroom training, of course, but practice, 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 practice. Um, it, the more you do something, the more confidently you can do it. Uh, and then also feedback. Um, and, and that's positive and uh, corrective feedback. Uh, when you give positive feedback, I think obviously, that, that boosts your team members' confidence and morale. But when you give corrective feedback, a, a lot of my supervisors were so hesitant to give negative or corrective feedback because they thought, oh, that's gonna, 
make them want to quit or whatever. But I think if, especially if you're, if you give it in the right way, um, you actually can end up boosting confidence because you're showing your team member, you're invested in them uh, and you want them to do better. Uh, one thing I always taught my supervisors, when you're giving corrective feedback, you want to start it with, I, I want to see you succeed. And, and that's why I'm going to tell you X, Y, Z. So, um, so I think that's a really great way to boost confidence. Um, and then a lot of the tools that you learn in theater, improv games, um, uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, lots, lots of tools that we learn in theater can help you boost confidence, learning how to have proper posture, um, learning how to use your breath control. So these are more physical things that can help with confidence. Uh, so yeah, I think um, it's, it's not all a mental game, although there is a lot of, a lot of times where you need to say to yourself, I need to be confident right now. Um, but I think there's a lot of elements um, from, from training to your supervisor feedback to um, some physical things you can do as well. So did you find that different, um, again, kind of going back to the, the cultural differences, did you find that different to build confidence with the Vietnamese culture versus maybe what you would do with, with an American culture? Was, that, was it a different process or just maybe, you know, a, a little? Yeah, it is. Um, but I would even say it's more than just um, cultural difference. I, I would even say it's an individual difference. Um, you know, as you get to know your team, you, you can start to learn why they're not confident. Um, but I will say in Vietnamese culture, um, as you go through education, and it, these things are changing, um, I, I should caveat it, but um, right now, there's very much this um, method of teaching that there's one right answer for everything. Uh, don't think out of the box. Don't ask questions. <laughs> so, um, you know, in our industry, that's, that's a problem because we, we really need people to be proactive. Um, and being proactive takes confidence, right? So, uh, so um, a lot of my training in um, Southeast Asia, we, we have to focus a lot on what proactive means and, and um, you know, ways we can be proactive. Um, but yeah, again, I would say for other places, I, um, I work with uh, international ride training a lot in the U.S. Um, and confidence, I think it's more of a generational issue in the U.S. Um, so just, just learning, um, giving supervisors ways to give feedback in a way that can promote confidence. Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's a cultural thing, but also, um, as much as I'm passionate about cultural awareness, um, I'm, I'm more passionate about the concept that we're all individuals with our own stories and things going on in our lives. Um, and that, that surpasses all cultural differences. Love it. You mentioned the work that you do with international ride training, and I know that's where that's where we last uh, met in person. I think that was the last that was the last conference I went to in person as yeah, of right, as of before, right now. Right. <laughs> uh, can you talk a little bit about the work that you do with IRT? Yeah, so um, so uh, international ride training um, for those who aren't familiar, it's um, the the bread and butter is our ride operator certification program. Um, so this is similar to, you have a driver's license to drive a car. So it's, um, giving ride operators some standards of performance 
to, to perform their jobs. And then we, we also provide audits throughout the year, uh, mystery audits, uh, to make sure everyone's performing to standard. Um, in Asia, so yeah, um, a lot of what I do for IRT is to try to grow the business in Asia. But because um, a lot of countries here are still in the early stages of learning about amusement parks, um, it's, uh, we're, we're not quite to doing certifications. We're, we're focusing more on auditing. So doing, you know, trying to help parks see where, where they are compared to other parks throughout the world um, and what needs to be improved as, as a starting point. And then we also have a new program called Learning the Ropes. Um, this is an online training course, really came out of the, the COVID situation we found ourselves in. But um, uh, this does not require certification, but helps parks to um, teach about safety and efficiency and um, just those uh, foundational uh, ride operator standards. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're getting started in Asia. We've also um, done some work in Australia at the parks in Gold Coast and also um, for the Sydney Royal East. So uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting um, to see IRT grow on, on this side of the world. For sure, we need it. And um, when, I, when I tell people what, what I do for IRT here, they're so excited because um, safety is important here to families. You know, families, family is most important here. So uh, parents are happy to hear about safety and quality. So speaking of some of those foundational skills, uh, you recently sent me an email about something you're working on uh, for the J1 students uh, in terms of, you know, coming over to the U.S. and learning how to operate a theme park when maybe they've never been to a theme park or they don't know what a queue is. And so I'd love it if you could talk a little bit more about that, um, that service and that support that you're providing. Yeah, sure. So um, one of the courses I usually teach at IROC, which is IRT's annual safety school, and um, I teach a cultural awareness class. And most of my students in that class are coming from parks with J-1 programs. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the J-1 program, it's a, it's a student exchange program um, for American companies can hire students from abroad. Um, this is particularly helpful um, when during high season or uh, right now when we're having staffing issues in our in our industry. I also think it's it's just a cool program because um, you're allowing your park and your team members to experience a new culture by bringing these students over. And you're also giving these um, international students a once in a lifetime opportunity. Actually, I've met a few people here in Vietnam who were J1 students. Um, not just from Vietnam, some Romanian people, so Ukrainian, so, um, and they just had the most amazing experience. So it's a cool program, but what I found from my students in that course was the students were arriving and, um, you know, they just couldn't hit the ground running because a lot of them had never even been to an amusement park. Um, they certainly had never been to the U.S., and unfortunately, a lot of the agents kind of advertise these jobs as, you know, oh, welcome to New York City, come come work in New York City. But really, the park might be in, you know, 
somewhere in New Jersey or, you know, not, not right next to the Statue of Liberty. So there is, you know, culture shock issues, um, but also just not having that context, never having had to stand in a line before, or maybe they had been to an amusement park, but they didn't know the importance of um, ASTM standards or the importance of, you know, why a fence needs to be a certain height and bars a certain distance apart from each other. So, um, so anyway, we're, we're starting a program where we're training, we're going to train the students um, on some foundational things before they arrive to the US. So um, some introductions to the US, what to expect, introductions to the theme park industry, um, introduction to safety and why that's important in the US, um, and a, a lot among some other courses as well. Just to, just to help those J1 students get off on the right foot, um, help them to succeed. Um, also, hopefully we'll save some time and money on the amusement park end. Um, and I mean, ultimately we want these students to be successful because that helps the park to be successful. And you want the students to come back the next year. So, um, so yeah, I think I'm excited about it. It's, a, it's an, gonna be a pilot program for next year and we're working closely with some amusement parks to tailor the program to their needs. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see um, what we can do together. Yeah, that, that's cool that the, the training begins before they even arrive, um, which, is, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah, which, is, which is cool to see. So hopefully they come a little bit more up to speed. I've got to imagine that even, uh, and, and this is aside from the, the J-1 visa program of uh, you know, people who might just be graduating high school and just got a summer job, that they probably also don't know many of those things uh, that, the, that the international students that you're referring to. Could you see that extending to just general seasonal employment, uh, you know, as a standard and, you know, in, in general, before you come here, work here for the summer, this is what you, you need to know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, like you said, a lot of the, the course material, it's, it's not specific to international students. Um, and I, I think what's cool about this program is we're, we are tailoring it amusement park by amusement park. So what, where they, they see their needs. So yeah, I, I think um, it could be good for, and it, um, surprisingly in, in Vietnam, one of the universities here has a theme park class, introduction to theme parks, uh, which is pretty mind blowing when you think about it. <laughs> um, so uh, Victor, my husband and I were asked to come be guest speakers at this class. Um, the, the instructor had never been to an amusement park uh, and none of the students had ever been to an amusement park. So um, anyway, I, I think it's, um, it, it just made me realize like our industry, you know, it's not just a summer job. Um, I mean, most people in the industry, maybe it started like that, but then it became their career. So, you know, it's, it's time to professionalize it. I mean, I know there are universities doing that already in some parts of the U.S., but um, I think it's time give it a little bit more uh, than, than just a summer hourly job. Yeah, you know, Anna, in some ways, I'm looking at what's happened with COVID and people looking at a frontline position. And obviously, a lot of places are competing with wages and things like that. But, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned hospitality being a very prestigious career path. And I mean, 
I'm kind of hoping that this is showing that service and hospitality over here in the U.S. can be uh, can again be a very prestigious career path, and certainly amusement parks can be a great um, foot in the door for that experience. Yeah. Um, because yeah. so often we talk about the lessons that we learn in this business. Um, you know, I can remember back to my first first year as a ride operator and learning how to to interact with the public. And I still use a lot of those techniques now. So I can imagine those skills could then, you know, like it has for Josh and I and a lot of people turns into a yeah. career. Yeah. And, you know, I, the studies are showing that um, part of the staff shortage issue is not actually because of COVID. It's because it, this was happening already. Yeah. Um, high school students just don't want this kind of job. So I think we've got to find ways to professionalize it. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for the industry to to head that direction. Yeah, going back actually to the the J one program and I guess tying COVID in with that, I've got to imagine that there have, were substantial impacts to that program last summer. This summer, I know you mentioned you're you're working on this initiative beginning next summer. I, but I mean, just, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm somewhat of an outsider sort of looking in here, but what's what's the current state of that right now? Yeah, so uh, it's interesting. So um, last year when the rest of the world was hit so hard with the pandemic, Vietnam acted very swiftly and shut their borders. And they, uh, they really didn't have COVID for most, I mean, they did a little bit and they had a few little waves um, but mostly they did not experience the pandemic in the way the rest of the world did. Now, unfortunately, um, the Delta variant has arrived and most of the country is under a very strict lockdown. So yeah, things, things are on hold, but uh, I, it's not forever. The Vietnamese government knows they need to um, speed up the vaccination process. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, a tough time right now, but it, it will come back. The, the the country, Vietnam as a country, prides itself on its tourist sites. I mean, not just amusement parks, but Halong Bay and Sapa and um, just, you know, beautiful beaches. So um, they, Vietnam really relies on tourism. So this, this won't be forever. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm still optimistic. <laughs> Awesome. And I'd like to uh, change uh, gears just for a minute because you've mentioned Victor a couple of times. Um, you know, anybody that knows Victor and knows you knows that you have a family over there and, you know, you're raising your family in Vietnam. So what's it been like raising your family overseas? Yeah, the, um, <laughs> that's a good question. So, uh, yeah, well, we, we obviously we moved here right after we got married and we're in that young, adventurous mode like, yeah, let's move to Vietnam. <laughs> But then after we moved here, we realized it's actually a pretty amazing place to raise a family. Um, there's uh, just, uh, as I mentioned before, the value put on family in Vietnam is really inspiring and exciting to be around. Um, the, I, I gave birth to both. We have two sons. Uh, both were born in Vietnam. Uh, and it was actually a really wonderful experience. Um, the private clinics here, uh, talk about hospitality, like they, they know what they're doing. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I was in the VIP suite with a hot tub and, uh, you know, <laughs> the massages every day. 
So um, yeah, so the delivery process was was fantastic. The State Department here is very supportive to help get their passports. Um, you know, we're we're able to have a, a a nanny, which we would not be able to have in the U.S. And she's really become part of our family. Uh, she's incredible. Like she just uh, just the way she talks to our children, it's like they're her own. So uh, it's it's a really special relationship we have with her. Uh, and then, yeah, it's, um, you know, as I mentioned before, the middle class is growing here uh, and FECs are popular. The other thing that's popular are kids cafes. I don't know if they exist in the US, but it is it is what it sounds like. It's a cafe um, with things for the kids to do. So the parents can sit, have a coffee, have a glass of wine, and their kids are in the same room as them playing on indoor play or, you know, whatever it may be. But it's not um, it's not a Chuck E. Cheese, right? It's a it's a cafe. It's kind of swanky. So uh, that's, awesome. that's that's a really cool thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really cool concept. And then we just have this amazing community not just of, we call them expats, so foreigners living in Vietnam, but uh, there's a huge group of expats here and locals who wanna be part of our community. Um, so we've, um, we're just kind of like a little big family taking care of each other because we're all away from our family. That being said, it is really hard to be away from your family. Um, before COVID, our families were able to come visit more often, but it is definitely definitely been a challenge to do all of this by video chat with them. So, uh, yeah, so there, there are pros and cons, but, uh, yeah, mostly I would say it's a, um, a really great experience to raise a family here. What do you look forward to being able to do with your family as Vietnam emerges, you know, from the pandemic and hopefully this lockdown ends soon? Uh, as, like you said, the, the amusement industry is in its infancy, what are the, what are the things that you, you are projecting out and, and maybe already getting excited about that maybe you're, you're not able to do today, but uh, able to do in the future? Yeah, um, that's a good question. We, we have a few projects in the pipeline that I'm not prepared to talk about yet, but uh, because, as you mentioned, attractions are in its infancy here, um, you know, Vietnamese people are dying to get out, to spend money, be with their family. So thinking of creative ways that aren't big roller coasters. I mean, eventually roller coasters will be valuable here, but um, right now I would, I would never advise an amusement park to buy a roller coaster because Vietnamese people, that's not what they're looking for. They're looking for ways to be together as a family. So um, thinking of creative ways to bring people together um, and at the same time, keeping in mind the weather here because we have a rainy season. Um, and so have to keep that in mind, have to keep humidity in, in mind for equipment and how to take care of equipment. But yeah, we have some we have some uh, operations we have in mind that that we're going to bring to Vietnam. Um, that that I think it's yeah, it's going to be really exciting. Awesome. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about that cafe um, idea because it really I know you mentioned it's not Chuck E. Cheese, so it's it's a little bit different than that with with the family environment. But you know, it really seems to be in stark contrast to, for example, a Starbucks right, where you go over here in the U.S., where you go in, you have a coffee, but there's, unless your your child is on a, an iPad or something, 
there's nothing that the, the company is doing for them to, to, um, you know, to occupy their time. And a lot of coffee shops and, and wine bars are like that. So I'm curious, just from, from your standpoint, what would it take, do you think, to create something like that if you were to put on your entrepreneur hat and do that here in the U.S.? What, what would that look like, do you think? Yeah, well, so one of the reasons I think they can do that so well in Vietnam is because um, staff, staffing is quite um, affordable here. So it, it is quite staff intensive, at least the way the Vietnamese expectation is that you come in, you throw your kids in the room, <laughs> the staff takes care of them, and you drink your coffee or glass of wine. Um, and, you know, I think for liability reasons and, and staffing costs, that would be difficult in the U.S. But, um, uh, you know, I think it's, it's definitely possible. Uh, and, yes, yeah, Starbucks would be smart, I think, to, to add even just a playground. I mean, when you think about McDonald's, I mean, that's a restaurant. But the way they've really made their restaurant an attraction now, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, say what you will about McDonald's, I, I try not to eat there myself because <laughs> it's not entirely healthy, but I mean, I give it to them because they, they found a way to make it a, a destination, not just a fast food restaurant. So yeah, I, I, think, I think it's doable in the US uh, as long as you set the guest expectations that uh, it's not necessarily a free babysitter. <laughs> yeah, the closest I've seen personally is a bar with a play area in it like <laughs> like in the in the suburbs like almost like a, a family bar basically so yeah not a cafe yeah. but <laughs> yeah. and, and what I like as a parent what I like about the cafes is um it's not just a playground it's um you know they have like a, a musical area with instruments they have um they have a you know a more physical area with climbing um, but they, they also have areas for like pretend play. And, um, so it's, it's a variety of things. It's not just a playground. Yeah. So that way, you know, some days my two-year-old, he's in a more active mood and he wants to do the, you know, climb through the maze, but some days he wants to sit in front of the mirror and pretend to brush his hair and use the pretend blow dryer. So, you know, it, it, I, I, that's what I like about it personally. Well, it's cool that it's. Oh, sorry, Matt. <laughs> I was going to say it is it is that third space that something like a, a Starbucks or you know any other cafe would be able to offer. But bring your family, bring your kids, and it's not it's it's not the energy level of Chuck E. Cheese, and it's not the maybe the stress or exhaustion level of a large theme park or an amusement park. But it's somewhere to be able to kind of get out of the house for maybe an hour or two. So yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say there, there are FECs, kind of the opposite sort of thing has happened where there's a trampoline park or an FEC and they've started to offer, you know, beer and wine for their families. And they started to offer, you know, Wi-Fi zones and things like that. Um, but I had not heard of it, you know, kind of the way you put it in the context of it starts with the the, the coffee or the wine and then is, is added. Yeah. I love the, 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 the fact that there's, there's kind of education and, and almost, yeah. almost, um, science museum like um yeah exactly yeah it's a lot of discovery very um kind of montessori feel um yeah i think you know and this this is a cultural difference so i will say a lot of the kids cafes are um based on some korean brands um so i think i think this was a, a korean concept i i think i don't know that for sure but um 
it, it's very much focused on the parent instead of the kid. And in the U.S., I think we've started focusing on the kid before the parent. <laughs> and there's there's benefits to both. But um, you know, something that I my husband's actually born in Romania, and something I've respected about um, the way he was brought up is he was always brought along to the adult activities, like the dinners and the, the things like that. No iPad involved. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think, you know, ultimately as parents, we want to teach our kids how to be adults. So um, we, we want them to play, of course. But uh, so, yeah, I think there's some benefits to, to putting the parents first um, and the kids can learn a lot from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I have um, kind of a, a, an odd question, maybe. Um, when you were um, <clears throat> announcing the birth of your second child, um, I remember seeing a picture where there was like the three of you um, and there was like a three across coaster, you know, train and you said, hey, we can now do the four across. <laughs> We've got the four. Yeah. Can you tell, tell us a little bit about that creative process? Where did that idea come from? <laughs> well, so... Victor, my husband, is a roller coaster nerd. And so I guess by default, I became one. <laughs> um, that roller coaster is Nitro from Six Flags Great Adventure, which is my absolute favorite ride in the world. And uh, so because I was taking on the graphic design responsibilities, I got to choose the roller coaster. <laughs> okay. Um, as you can see, my graphic design skills are not good. <laughs> Uh, one of the children, I think, had uh, gigantic muscles and like, you know, a uh, tank top and very long legs. <laughs> but uh, no, it was a lot of a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> Victor and I laugh a lot together. Um, and so we had a lot of fun putting our announcements together. <laughs> so you might need that that picture to attach with the, uh, the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and by the way, we aren't allowed, according to Victor, we're not allowed to have a third child because... There are no five across. Let's take up two rows. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah no, no, it's a no go. <laughs> longer, longer wait time. Got to let more people in front of you. You know, <laughs> <That's> single riders. <laughs> so. Anna, uh, if people want to learn more about you, about hospitality intelligence, uh, or get a hold of you, where would you send them? Um, well, yeah, I have a website, hospitalityintelusa.com. Um, or find me on Facebook or LinkedIn. Um, I check those regularly. So yeah, would love to talk to anyone. Excellent. Well, Anna, this has been a fantastic and, and uh, fascinating conversation about so many different topics. If you have any sort of um, lasting wisdom or any last thoughts for our, our listeners, what would they be? Oh, gosh, um, I would say enjoy the journey, not the destination. I think we're taught as kids to pick one thing we want to be when we grow up, but I, I believe in the journey, not the destination. And uh, yeah. And I, a big thank you to all of my mentors who've helped me get along this far. So I, I would recommend if you don't have a mentor, go get a mentor. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Anna, thank you so much again for uh, your time today. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and for everyone out there who is watching and listening. Just remember, we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.